0: Hi, I'm Yolanda Brown, and a very warm welcome to LPO Offstage. This is the podcast that goes behind the scenes with members of the London Philharmonic Orchestra. In today's episode, we're getting beneath the surface of a work which is both uplifting and sinister, energetic and reflective, Rachmaninoff's Symphonic Dances, a piece of music that the LPO has performed many times. Today, I'm joined by trombone player Dave Whitehouse, viola player Laura Vallejo, and And timpanist, Simon Carrington. Welcome back, Simon. And it's great to have you here, Dave and Laura. How are you? Good. Hi, Yelanda. Great to see you again. Happy to be here. Good, good. Today, we are digging deep into um, Rachmaninoff's symphonic dances. For the first bit, I guess, Dave, from a trombonist point of view, what comes to mind when someone mentions Rachmaninoff to you?
1: Good trombone writing, I think, is the first thing. Um, Tunes interesting harmonies you can pick any one of uh, Rachmaninoff's pieces and it's just tune after tune after tune it's just you know everyone is a winner
0: For the percussion Simon when you hear Rachmaninoff is it sort of sticks down and take in the rest of the orchestra or are you really involved?
2: A lot of music for me is sticks down and taking the rest of the orchestra and just <laughs> sit in and, and enjoy it I mean from a timpanist point of view he wrote simply but very effectively and it's rewarding to play and most of all Actually, I sit there as a timpanist regretting the fact that I'm not a good enough piano player to actually um, play all of that wealth of fantastic piano repertoire that he wrote. He uses percussion and timpani wonderfully, sparingly and very colourfully, much like one of his teachers, Rimsky-Korsikov. I think he studied with Rimsky-Korsikov at some stage. And that lends a really uh, particular flavour to his music, I think. Less is more.
0: Less is more, I love that. And Dave, do you remember your first encounter with Rachmaninoff's Symphonic Dances?
1: I do. It was in my uh, previous job in the Philharmonia Orchestra. Beyond that, I can't remember an awful lot about it. I couldn't tell you who was conducting, for example, but I do remember (laughs) the final movement stuck in my mind because there's a bit where the trombone sort of set the rhythm along with the timpani, I think. Simon will know the bit I'm talking about. And it's like, it's like this offbeat, triplet-y sort of, uh, sort of rhythm. I was looking at the music in, in advance because I'd never played it before. That bit didn't really stand out on the page at all. So it didn't sort of register as a thing I'd need to look at. And then when it came to it, it was all these rhythms, these cross rhythms were over the place. And I was kind of a little bit phoned for for a bit, but it's a really good bit. Do you know the bit I'm talking about, Simon?
2: Yeah, it's, it's hard to phrase that all. In uh, in the same way together when you're when you're playing through it it doesn't sit one of the places it doesn't yeah. sit down automatically. It takes a few uh a few goes. It's an electrifying passage of music because you get yeah. the same I think four bars ba 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 but then it just puts it up a tone. And then mm. he puts it, does it again. And then puts it up another tone, and it just gets increasingly more exciting each time. It's such a simple device.
1: I was Do thinking of the bit before it, where we're going bum, 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 bum. Oh, bump,
2: yeah, bump, yeah bump. we've got this Bum, Bum, okay. Well, bump, I've talked about bump, the bit that bump, I find bump. difficult. Ah. I find that bit very <laughs> difficult as well because yeah, the tempo that, is just, slightly held well, back, and
1: yeah, and yeah. there's nothing on the downbeat for you to bounce off, other than what you can see, what the conductor's giving you, and uh, yeah, and if the conductor doesn't give you very much then that can make it quite difficult but as long as I'm with Simon in that bit (laughs) then, then you can't go wrong really
0: And I have heard reports about this third movement and how challenging it is, especially in the strings. Knowing that that part is coming up and you've got the first two movements to go through, is there a feeling that you have throughout the performance or I hate to say
3: anxiety, but almost like a building up that you know this is coming? Does that ever leave or did you ever feel that? The music flows naturally. I don't think you have to save yourself or prepare ahead. You just sort of just keep playing and because it's such a beautiful music to play. You just constantly engage with it. I don't think you have to sort of mentally prepare. It happens naturally.
2: It's probably a key point about performing anything difficult, isn't it? For any performer or any musician is that you've just got to stay in the moment. And uh, if you're thinking too much about what's ahead of you, then you probably mess up in, in the moment that you're in with something really simple.
0: What do you think it is, Simon, that really leads us to know that it's Rachmaninoff?
2: I guess the common elements that are often there in his music, i.e. beautiful, crunchy harmony, Mm. those gorgeous sort of spinning melodic lines that that tend to go up and up and just carry on and on. And although he's he's less indulgent in this piece with that than he was, say, in his um, first symphony and, and definitely his second symphony. It's all more concise from that point of view. Mm. But also the the orchestration is unmistakable for those reasons of, of colour. So he uses a large orchestra most of the time, but very, very precisely. And it's never heavy unless for certain points, certain high points where he really utilises the whole thing. And that makes it hugely effective when he does so. So very, very beautiful. And of course, in this piece, he's got that additional voice that Yolanda I'm sure we'd all love to see you in the orchestra playing the saxophone part Yeah, (laughs) so
0: excited about um, (laughs) it
2: a really interesting addition there why he suddenly decided to use that maybe as a token nod to um, the man who sort of ruined his life in the first place which was who was Glazunov apparently had directed this fantastically disastrous performances of his First Symphony was allegedly not very well yes, prepared, received, yeah. uh, and it was he he didn't use his rehearsal time well, and the scurrilous accusations, as well, that the conductor was drunk, and that that didn't help. Rachmaninoff got absolutely panned, but interesting that he he refers to that first Symphony in in the first movements of the symphonic dances in a kind of yearning. Or nostalgic fashion, mm. let's say, but in the major key rather than minor key the theme that, that he uses in the first symphony, he uses in the in the major key as though he's he's at peace with uh, whatever happened. He's been satisfied with his life since that awful uh, debacle.
0: <laughs> that tell you about him as a character and where he was when he was writing these symphonic dances?
3: First of all, he was living in the United States. He left Russia after the Russian Revolution so you can hear the nostalgia in his music and also uh, as Simon said, he he struggled through his uh, composing life. Uh, He went through periods of depression. He couldn't write at all and I think perhaps when he brought this music, I actually find it quite honest because he's mm-hmm. describing all these things that happened to him. He's not trying to hide them. He's acknowledging his failures. and But in a positive way, in the end, it seems like he makes peace with it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the last movement, there are two main themes. You have the Dies Irae, which is associated with death. And then there is a theme that he took from his choral piece called The Vespers. It's a theme at the very end. Of the piece. It's a thing that I love because the violas start playing it. It's also marked fortissimo, so that's the moment when we really go for oh, it. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you Rachmaninoff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so at the very end it seems like resurrection and hope wins over the Dies Irae and sort of death. I think it's in this piece he sort of makes peace with himself. Simon, what's your approach when
0: performing the music? Are you digging into the past and the history or are you thinking about the sonic sound of the music? You
2: can't sort of preordain these things too much, I think. It depends very much when we're playing. Obviously, there's the way a conductor rehearses and the way they inspire you or sometimes not as they conduct a piece, but it it very much comes down to in the moment and in the performance as to how things go. Mm. So I always have a, a fairly clear idea of how I think a piece should go and in this, this particular piece, because I start the, the violin, start the whole piece, but the first uh, gesture that I have to play,
0: ba-ba-ba-ba-bam, ba-ba-ba-ba-bam, oh,
2: yeah. is quite sort of militaristic and decisive, and I do like to play that in such a style. But the bars that follow it as well, where you get a ba-da-dam, ba-ba-ba, some conductors don't want that very strong. They want to hear the tune, as it were, in the basses, and I just think it, it needs to be set Yes. At that point. So you keep the energy up and uh, and make sure that this journey starts in a very decisive fashion rather than a perfunctory fashion. So it, I don't know, it's things like that. I go in thinking and then in the moment, pretty much anything can happen,
0: really. And that's I guess that's the one of the wonderful things about playing. Talking about this waltz in the the second movement, what's the difference between this waltz or this attempt to the waltz? three times? I know he attempts to to bring it about compared to other
1: waltzes that you may play. This one doesn't feature the trombones i don't think um, I don't think we play in the waltz section. We play the fanfares that come in between the waltz sections. The whole brass section plays these fanfares, and we have to use our mutes for that, so it's a very sort of very closed sort of sound closed and yet metallic and it's a weird sort of fanfare and just from a practical point of view trying to play that the rhythms are well they're not difficult but again it's the ensemble Mm. that makes it difficult so trying to get it playing at the same time as your colleague and every note has got some kind of dynamic instruction on it so it could be forte piano crescendo accent you know every Um. every single note is kind of different if everybody does the same thing at the same time then it sounds great So what are you thinking when you play this piece? So what I'm actually thinking is I've got to try and get that accent on that note (laughs) and I'll get piano on that note, crescendo on that note and get the crescendo the same speed as the the person on my right and the person on my left and also get that semiquaver at the same time as the first trumpet because he will often lead it because we're often the long way from the conductor and there's all sorts Mm. of, yeah, it's a good job we don't, get many of the tunes because um i don't know i've got if i've got time to uh, indulge in a tune really we're just too busy trying to play rhythmic accuracy but then That's I suppose really we, all are, we, we, we all are though aren't we i mean it's, yeah, you've got to be yeah. rhythmic, whether you're playing a tune or not i mean lara you've got to try and play the same thing as uh, 11 other people or whatever
3: exactly <laughs> and i think i think answering to yolanda's question i think this is not like other walters because um the music is uh, completely restless. Mm. The bass changes constantly. Sometimes it speeds up and then it almost stops completely. There is this sense of anxiety. It's almost like like you're trying to dance, but, but you can't. Yes. And the melodies are very melancholic and they're always interrupted by the, the chords in the brass and then you have the woodwinds you have the the flute, you have the clarinet playing this kind of ghostly chromatisms and it, it gives them this kind of haunted wow. um sort of uh, feeling it's absolutely beautiful
0: I can imagine almost like when I was listening to it, you kind of, your breath tries to get in, in the rhythm of the waltz. And as you say, it speeds up and you kind of lose your breath and you come back again. Yeah. I'd love to see it live, I think. I think I could just imagine watching the conductor and, you know, controlling that that speed and tempo yeah. must be amazing to see. Yeah,
3: it's it's great to play. But like Dave was saying, it's quite a challenge to, to be together mm. and we have to listen to each other. When I play viola, sometimes I have the accompanying part. I, I don't get to play many melodies yeah. in this piece either. But I find my role quite interesting because I support the harmony and I support all these small rhythm changes and, you know that make the piece so exciting. Yes. It's quite difficult from a stream player point of view as well because we have big sections. So I'm one out of 12. So not only we have to listen to what's going on around in the orchestra, but we have to listen to each other as a section and try to be synchronised. So it's, it's quite a challenging work. I am going to just go back to the first movement for a minute because I
0: this alto saxophone solo, which, uh, you know, I've spent many years saying there's no saxophone in the orchestra. <laughs> uh, this, <laughs> this is the piece that allows me to say, yes, there is. What happens logistically within the orchestra? Who plays the saxophone for these performances, Dave?
1: we usually get somebody in who's a, an alto sax specialist right <laughs> So you're pitching for a gig here. You well
0: are. you never know <laughs> it's changing times anyone a takes gig. a gig if they can get there
1: <laughs> I think even though the guys in the in the orchestra do I'm almost certain play the saxophone I think they would rather not do it for some whatever reason maybe mm. uh I don't know yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they could, but uh, we get someone in, a freelancer, uh, come in and do it. It's usually the same guy who does it, um, who who I think is the first call for many orchestras. It always reminds me of, of a Hollywood film score. It's uh, I think there, there's such an American sort of influence on him, I think. There's a lot of Russian influence and there's a lot of Hollywood sort of American influence. And if you were to compare it to other Russian composers, like you've got the Borodin, Shostakovich, Stravinsky, they're all very much... Russian that they they stick out as being Russian composers but I think Rachmaninoff out of all of them is the least Russian of them he I think he's the most sort of Hollywood Mm,
0: I like it I haven't seen the score for myself and you know Dave you've described all the different dynamics that entered in I can imagine that it looks quite uh, detailed but the first dance is labeled non allegro Laura what do you think Rachmaninoff meant by this
3: Well, I don't think that marking refers so much to the tempo as to the mood. Uh It is allegro, but it's not a cheerful allegro. It's um, quite a melancholic allegro, in fact. Mm. So I don't think it's so much of a tempo marking. I think he's just trying to indicate the mood. And is this what you took from it as well, Dave?
1: I maybe had a slightly more literal slant on it. So not allegro, just not not fast, really. I, I don't know.
0: And you spoke earlier about the conductor really being quite... Well, even more important than usual in keeping everybody together and making sure that the sections move together in this quite challenging music. You had Vladimir Yurovsky, who took you through a lot of performances. I've I've actually got a a wonderful schedule here. I can see all of your performances since 1981 till uh, 2017. And um, you have been very busy with this piece, I have to say. What are some of the things that you love about performing this piece with Vladimir in the past, Simon? Well, it's evident that Rachmaninoff was a composer very
2: close to Vladimir's heart, so it's great to see that. I mean, he's, he's incredibly sincere with all music that he conducts, but maybe there's a synergy there between two people who've left Russia, albeit that I don't believe Vladimir sort of was forced to leave Russia back in the in the late 80s, but chose to and must also always have had had that sort of... Yearning for the motherland over the over the years, and um, I mean from a musical point of view, he insists on extremely strictly held tempi as and whens needed. And as it is at the beginning of this piece, as I was saying earlier, I think it's not perfunctory at all. It's really really serious and decisive, the way he sets up the rhythm, and that just floats the whole thing rather than just rushing through anything too much. It really makes the music speak you know sonically and metaphorically i suppose you can see in that that yearning quality i remember doing it with i think the first time or one of the performances we did with vladimir there's a a high horn line in the last movement of the piece that really is I think the most nostalgic section that there is the most highly emotional section Mm. and um, there's an an optional horn line that's really high for the instrument and uncomfortable to play and it's, it's an octave above the other voice that is written and the player of the day wasn't putting this optional line in and Vlad sort of looked up and you know absolutely begged him to play this high It's almost like a sort of scream, like a sort of emotional pulling your heart apart kind of the the effect when it is actually there. And that, well, that indicated to me just how much the emotional side of this piece uh, resonates with him.
3: If I can add up to that, I think Vladimir has a great knowledge of stylistic interpretation Mm -hmm. and he pays great attention to all the small details that make a big difference in the performance. He's very demanding and I think he achieves uh, very good results. Every time.
0: What are the audience reactions
2: from what you can see? There's one thing I should probably mention, which is that there's a note on the tam-tam right at the end of the piece. It's basically for the last three bars of the piece, there are three or four tam-tam notes where the instruction is laissez vibre, let vibrate. Mm-hmm. And the very last chord of the piece in the orchestra is just a, they're all short. Dum-bum, yum bum ba. And then the audience wants to applaud because they've got up to fever pitch and they just want to go, yeah, like, or, or whatever. But very often this tam-tam is left to let ring. And it just confuses everyone because it, it's now ringing, and then brought to a standstill quite quickly because people who haven't heard it have started clapping. So the people who have heard people clapping also start clapping. So it can be a bit of a damp squib. That ending is great on a recording if you think that that's what you want to hear because you can I mean a tantam if you hit it fortissimo it will ring for literally a couple of minutes I mean literally so (laughs) wow but obviously you can't have that in a performance so and I I think it's a spurious notion anyway because the piece was dedicated or first performed by Ormandy and Philadelphia and uh, I, I actually listened to their recording the other day and it's not Lesser vibre on the recording i think the lesser vibre pertains to the notes two or three bars earlier and then the last note should just be jam bang and that's it and now everyone can clap and they're can happy, and not, not ooh, <laughs> falling into this applause <laughs> wondering whether they should be applauding or not it's uh, it's one of those things that the reviewers uh all get very excited about who lets it ring and who doesn't and all that kind of thing
0: what would be your favorite part, and what would be your most challenging and maybe not so favorite part,
3: Lara? What would be your your answer? My favorite moment uh, to play and to listen to is, is the Waltz. Even though as a viola player, I'm not playing big melodies or I'm just sort of accompanying, but somehow I just find it the most exciting movement in a way. Even though the music is not, you know, as exciting as the last movement or or as sort of nostalgic as the first one. I just love the waltz. And I don't really have a least favourite. I, I like the whole piece. But of course, the agitato sections in the last movement are, are quite difficult for us. It's exciting. I, I also like it. What is it exactly that is challenging about it? So we have a lot of notes to play with complicated rhythms that are not regular so we have to count like crazy, and we have to fit in with what the violins are doing, and what the cellos are doing, and what the others are doing. If something doesn't fit in as tightly as we want, then we have to make a decision, right? So we always have to go with the percussion or Simon or with the brass because they are the loudest ones. They're sitting behind us; they can't hear us, but we can hear them. So we, we always <laughs> and you get love cheers from them. <laughs> always, no matter what. Just go with them. And that's the way for the whole orchestra to sort of stick together when things fall apart a little bit. I like that. Well, you know, you've got we, them both smiling from ear to ear. They never knew, you see. We're sharing here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but <laughs> now we worth. know that,
1: that, that opens up a whole new door of possibility. That, brilliant.
0: <laughs> but also, Dave, do you feel the responsibility then within that? Well, uh,
1: I do know, now, yeah. It's a double-edged sword, <laughs> isn't it? <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and Simon, what's your favourite moment and maybe... A bit less favourite moment within this
2: piece. The slow section at the heart of the last movement, I do think, is the emotional core of the piece, and maybe it's Rachmaninoff's last hurrah. I mean, I, I love the fact that he stuck to his doing what he wanted to do as a composer. He didn't feel that he wanted to jump on the modernist bandwagon as other people were doing. I sort of compare him to. Um, you know, maybe he could be compared to Richard Strauss in that regard. He just carried mm. on writing beautiful music without worrying about what uh, Schoenberg thought. But um, he j- just in that section just writes this absolutely heart-wrenching music was ultimately resolved and just so beautiful for it. So I love that bit. I love the bit um, that Dave and I spoke about right at the beginning of this where he's just got this really exciting four bars in the last movement using the whole orchestra and then just raises up a tone and then a tone again and then and it precedes just then the biggest um declamation of the diaz area in the whole piece ending in uh you know huge crash on the tam-tam So that's all all good, and then definitely my my least favourite bit would be that tam tam note that we spoke about oh, at the really? end. really? Yeah, just because I, I just I can't see why anyone would want to to leave that last note ringing. It just doesn't seem to make any sense, and it just causes trouble. I don't know why. Dave, do you know why?
1: Um, I can imagine, but I, I couldn't I couldn't possibly say really. No,
2: well, any. I don't know. No, I, I don't know no. why, or maybe I do know why. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for all of your insights. I've learned lots today and uh, I honestly cannot wait to see this performed live. Thank you, Simon, Laura and Dave. Thank you. Thanks, Yolanda. Thank you, Thank you very much. That's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Dave Whitehouse, Laura Vallejo and Simon Carrington for sharing their experiences of playing Rachmaninoff's invigorating symphonic dances. Please get in touch using the hashtag OffstagePod and thanks so much for listening. Please do join me for the next episode of LPO Offstage, which is all about what it's like to be a musician working in the UK.